But I have always thought that building your own business is too much work and you get too little in return. And uh, But I actually changed my mind. This is Female Business Angel Podcast. Your go-to destination if you're a business angel or would like to get into angel investing and don't know where to start. Or if you just want to find out how we tick. We're Tina and Katja, both business angels from Berlin. Well, I'm a VC now. We will interview established female business angels about how they got started and how it is going, including all the best tips and tricks. So get ready for some insider stories and personal empowering moments and revelations with these incredible women. Welcome to this journey with us. Hi, Stine. Hi, great Katja. To, great to have you on our podcast. We've already had a brief chat, but now it's a longer session. It's an honor to have our first angel from the Nordics representing Denmark. Exactly. At the Female Business Angels podcast, we are at the Scene Studio. Scene is a pre-seed fund from Berlin. We are here in Berlin, Prenzlauer Berg in the beautiful studio on the roof. We're super happy to be here. And we would love to know more about yourself, your journey, and how you became a business angel, entrepreneur, and book author. Introduce yourself and please tell us how yes. you have well, yes. well, thank you so much for, for having me here. And it's always exciting to, to share a little bit about myself and, and what I've been through. So yeah, so first of all, my name is Stina Sorensen, and I have just recently stepped down from my operational role as a COO as a health tech company that I founded five years ago. And so I've been transitioning into a more active business angel, which I, I obviously uh, is, is spending much more time on now. Besides of being an angel investor, I also sit on several boards uh, in energy companies, in um, different kinds of areas of sustainability as well. I'm also a strategic advisor for startups. So I spend quite some time with startups and I've built a couple of myself as well. So I guess that's the short story. Wow, this is this is really impressive. Um, you've built a couple of startups. Which one are you the most proud of? Well, I'm actually, the, my um, two big startups, I, I mean, I, I created quite a few companies, some with, with just a single purpose of being a vehicle for, for doing, doing a project and things. But I mean, with Radiobotics, which is the health tech company that I created, we worked uh, five years on solving substantial problems within the whole health tech area. And I, I really believe that that has some great impact. My company before that was a crazy Silicon Valley story, which I think I learned a lot from, but the, uh, the, the impact we had wasn't that that's great, so to say, compared to actually trying to solve real-world problems in, in the healthcare sector, so to say. So I would say Radiobotics is what I'm most proud of. This is like the recent one. Yeah. yeah. What, um, what was the not that important problem that we were trying to solve that took you to Silicon Valley, though? Well, I mean, this, yeah. uh, the Silicon Valley wasn't necessarily what I would call an important problem, but it was indeed a difficult a technical problems. So what we were trying to do was to rethink how you were, you were creating 
uh, content. And this was six years ago. So you have to remember that this was when Snapchat and Instagram started taking off in, in, in its, uh, with the video formats and those things. So what we created was something quite substantial for the camera section. And uh, we also were supported by one of the big uh, companies that obviously make a living of cameras. Mm -hmm. Wow, uh, this is exciting. So I, th I think your story is absolutely fascinating. Did you want to become an entrepreneur as a child and um, build these companies, go to the Silicon Valley, sell them, uh, solve substantial health tech problems, Im <laughs> yeah. Yeah, improve no, the life of the humanity? Or did you want to become a business angel and sit on all these boards? Or how? what did you envision for yourself? Actually, actually, never. Like when I had my uh, first, or not my first, when I had my the, the last corporate job that I had was working at a global digital department and a very big pharmaceutical company. And I was thinking, this is exactly what I need to do. I need to work so you can progress, so you can, you know, raise in degrees and have more important titles and things. And that was really what I was set out to. And then one and a half year in that position, I was really disillusionized or how you say, because I was like, this was not what I wanted. But I have always thought that building your own business is too much work and you get too little in return. And uh, But I actually changed my mind because I was thinking, being yeah, in the corporate world, yeah. being in the <laughs> corporate world gives you, maybe can give you access to some, uh, some revenue, but it's too stable, it's too predictable, and you work so much. And in the end, there is not that many that actually cares when you're part of a big company. So it really what changed my mind was that at the company I was at, there was a huge restructuring round. So a lot of people got uh, fired. And that was obviously part of the plan. I didn't. And I had actually hoped to get fired so I could do something else. Oh, no. I didn't. So I, I was thinking, well, what is it that makes the decisions? What is it that actually makes this, these things move around? And who appreciates the time that you spend on this? And I actually came to the thought that nobody really... Well, they do appreciate it. But personally, I didn't feel as... It, it, it could, I could just be anybody, right? So that was actually what led me to uh, resigning from my from my job, and I went to traveling uh, first of all to all of the big tech conf tech conferences in the world to see what is going on, what's happening, and that was where I actually met. So not to the yoga retreat, not to no, not no, to travel to, like to, the to, Himalaya, but you you went to the tech conferences exactly to re-educate myself and to tap into what is really happening out there. And I've really been been spending all my time with you know what is it that new technology can do. And yep. on, on that travel through Hong Kong to Austin to, to, to Portugal to, to many places, I sort of ran into these camera guys that, that I ended up, um, we ended up joining Arthur, forces. Yeah. And, and then, I mean, my startup journey really took off. And that's really what I've been spending all of my time on the last seven years. Wow, that's amazing. So, so the most groundbreaking conference was the one in Hong Kong. It was actually, yeah. uh, because at that time it was very progressive and there was so much happening. Also, as we know today, how much China has actually done to, you know, be leading in, in terms of AI and, and a lot of technology. And you can, you can really be afraid of what they're doing. And you can also try to understand more in depth of what is actually happening there. And, and joining that conference in Hong Kong at that time really gave me an insight into how and how crazy and how <laughs> um, yeah. how little we actually in Europe understand about what is going on in China. And, and I'm, I'm not necessarily praising what they're doing because there, also, there is also a lot of challenges happening in the tech world there. But, but just to have an understanding of it was actually quite interesting at that time. 
Absolutely. Which was it? The one that Web Summit is organizing in the, in Asia, or was it? Yes, it was. Yeah, I, I can't. It's, it's sometime collision. In, in, no collision. Yeah, it, it, exactly. It was coalition that was in, in Hong Kong, and they were running this um, program where they invited a lot of female entrepreneurs as well. So they were really uh, pushing that more females attended these tech conferences. They do that. Yeah, they do that for the Web Summit yeah. as well. It's two for yeah. one, or sometimes they even invite ladies. And I must admit, this is like the one of the few conferences where you really have the equal gender ratio. Yeah. So, so yes, yeah, there's one of the few conferences where you where women have to stand in line for the for the bathroom, right? For the bathroom, yeah, that's that's the downside. <laughs> Normally, that's, that's in true. my early days, in my early tech days, um, I really <laughs> enjoyed that uh, you could have the bathroom for free. Yeah, that's true. That's what's happening in Web three right now. So yeah, women in Web three and blockchain is like a very scarce. So. Yeah, so when you go to the conferences or to the after parties, you at least hope to not to have a line in the bathroom. And exactly. um, and mostly true for now, which is sad as well, because I mean, I would prefer to have an equal gender ratio, to be honest, exactly. everywhere in every industry. But yeah, I really love your story. So it was like gradually realizing, okay, if you don't show up to work, they would just hire someone else. And it's a big corporation and someone, can, someone else can do it. And it's better to, yeah, to like pull the plug and exactly. reset, get inspiration, bump into more entrepreneurial minds and join forces with them to to build something life-changing and to go on a ride, to go on a journey, which uh, turned out to be very rewarding for you. Yes, um, it turned out, but I had no plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but this is super cool. I guess yeah, this is the question for so for 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 many people out there. So when uh, so should you continue with your corporate job for how long? When when should you like? How do you realize how long should it take you to realize? Okay, maybe it's not for me. Maybe I should try try the like the startup mm. slash investor track. I, I also think it's not one or the other. I I see myself as also I could potentially take on another corporate job in maybe five years or ten years. And I sort of see that you know how you have where you have your energy and where you are in a situation in your life where you can take more risks and where you sort of is set up for doing other things. So I really think it's it's something that changes and you can go back and forth between creating a business, spending five six years on, on those things, and then maybe finding a new route for your startup, and then you can go back into corporate life. So I also think, it, at, at least for the young ones, it should be seen as two things that can actually complement each other rather than it has to be one or the other. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, it's like a phase in your life. Yesterday, I met with friends who are working, of course, in the startup scene here in Berlin, and they were telling me about having a bit of a middle life crisis and thinking that it would actually be nice not to come up with another startup idea or to, you know land like another one of these cool dream jobs but maybe to do something with your hands <laughs> like to become a woodworker or fireman exactly. or yeah. to set up like i don't know an exclusive airbnb business or just to do some gardening which i thought it was also a very refreshing perspective and i heard it from many young people as well like setting exactly, up yeah. Yeah, like growing yeah. your own food and um, becoming self-sufficient. So this is super exciting. And how did your family and friends react? Uh, because you you completely changed your life, like or in the course of like one year. Well, I 
I think one of the things that I feel very fortunate about is that even though my family doesn't, doesn't necessarily understand what I'm doing, they're very supportive. So every time I've been presenting new ideas and things for my, for instance, for my grandma, she's always been, of course, I mean, I'm sure you can succeed with those things as well. So, so even though she probably not understood what it was, then she, they have always been very supportive of uh, what I've been doing and, and where I've been living and, and how I've been traveling around and, and, and those things. So I, I feel very, very fortunate. I, I have a, a sister that's three years older than me, and I, I sometimes call her um, uh, the boss in my life, and I ask her for advice very often. She always says yes, so sometimes I even just call her because I know she would say yes. So yeah, really <laughs> in, in that sense, I, I, I've, I've been very supportive. From, uh, from my family and, and friends also. And, and sometimes I, I think they are too, um, they're too positive on my behalf because uh, <laughs> I, I, they, they always look at me and think that I will probably figure out something. And that is probably true. But sometimes I, I think to myself, you know, what if not, what if, if it wasn't supposed to <laughs> go really well? But, uh, but I still, um, I so still have to experience that. You can always yeah. call them. and Exactly, yeah. You know, Hopefully, to your try. Yeah, that's really good to have support and people. It is, it is you. very that important. That gives your wings and power. I guess superpowers to. It does. I mean, it's, it, it's not something that that sort of you know in your day to day operational business that you can sort of feel. But when things are starting to change and you need to to act and you need to do something and and things are going up and down in startups, right? So when things are going down, you obviously start to reflect on what's happening and what could the consequences be. And there it's very nice to know there is support, but obviously you don't feel it in, in an everyday setting, right? No, yeah, but you know it's there. It's really yeah. good. And um, so tell us about your very, very first angel investment. Um, do, do you remember how it happened? Uh, what was it like a coincidence? Or did you decide, okay, I would love to be an angel investor and make my first ticket? Yeah. Again, I didn't necessarily decide on what the end goal should be, but I was sort of a little bit looped into it. So it was right after the acquisition of the camera company had happened, and I was about to start Radio Robotics with a, with a friend of mine. And I met these guys that had created Nordic Fintech Angels, which were a, a group of four people that had come together. They wanted to invest in uh, fintech in, in the Danish ecosystem. And they actually asked, they were at an early stage, so I could still join. And I actually joined uh, this, uh, I mean, it was just a company that was working on, on doing, you know, things on the side, so to say. And uh, so I actually joined that and I did, immediately after, I did my first investment in a company called Meta which creates uh, algorithms that can sort of screen uh, investment portfolios for uh, sustainability and ESG goals. So, uh, and that investment was my very first. I'm still very active. I sit on the, on the board of this company as well. They just raised another round and is still uh, growing. I think they're around 25 to 30 employees today. And uh, it's, right. it's a big company. So I, I hopefully, it, it looks like that my very first investment would also be very successful. It's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I still very much remember. Yeah. Sorry, say it again. How old is the company now? It's like five years. Mm, I think they are four. So okay. it was in the very early stage. So that was in 2018. So they're maybe five, yeah. five years old. Yeah. So like first money in. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, we were, we were some of the very first investments. If not the first. 
Yeah, it was very early. I mean, that's what that's where you get most return on your. I mean, that's with it's with the highest risk, but it's also with the potential biggest return. It is to get in very early, right? When you don't have of course, of course. millions to invest, right? Yeah, what convinced you to to bet on them? Um, I think it was uh, it is it's actually interesting. I really think that the idea that they had in terms of you know making. Uh, sustainable investments, much more transparent and providing the information. And at that time, there was very little information around sustainable investments. And um, so I really think that that the mission they were on, and then it's, it's really the people, right? I mean, the, the the two guys that founded the company was 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 very interesting to work with. And, and they really showed a lot of progression throughout the process. And I, I can see that that is when you first time meet a founder, and until the next time, and if a lot of things has happened, and you can see they're taking action and they're getting things done, it's very intriguing for for a potential investment because that's really what you would like to see to begin with, right? Mm. So vision, mission, getting things done. Oh yeah, mentality, kind of roll up your sleeves. Oh, for sure. I mean, it all yeah. all the all the usual suspects were there, so to say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so now you've done quite a few other angel investments, also together with other people, and you are scouting for equity ventures as well. So how do you juggle all that? Uh, well, I and mean, how did it, what did you learn also? Because I mean you are now an experienced business angel and entrepreneur. So what did I learn? I mean there is you learn that things change all the time. So there is always room to learn something something different. Um I I really think that's that what I have seen and what I find very, very valuable is that I, I both have been on the founder side. So I, I've, I've negotiated these angel investment deals as a founder, getting taking money into my company. And I've also been sitting on the other side negotiating as an angel investor. And having that both sides of the table and understanding both parties, I think that is very valuable in what I do. I am very much a founder investor, so to say, because I always take the party of, of the founders. I can see that because I can really relate to myself. I, I've even advised some not to take an investment from, um, from one of my in at an early stage, because I think mm -hmm. as a founder, they would actually be better off doing something different. And and so I can really see myself as a as one that has a founder perspective. And I will probably always take their party because I have been there and I know how it feels. As a founder's ally, although yeah. now you're representing um, a pretty big VC fund. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I obviously have to to think of of other of uh, how you say that there are different kinds of vehicles and instruments and things that you can do and you obviously have to take that into consideration but i'm also thinking i i do believe that by protecting the founders and ensuring you make a fair deal you also are set out to make a much stronger business in the future as well so i actually think it, it pays off but obviously you have to be considerate about what you what you say yes to for both sides right yeah yeah, yeah absolutely but yeah, I think it's great. It's it's a great combination that you're bringing to the table, and also like you being a communication professional, right? So besides being a founder and an experienced investor, yeah. So I think um, I've uh, we've uh, recorded recently another episode with also a founder who is scouting for Atomico. So it's a it's a similar profile, and we were talking a lot about the art of the storytelling, like when raising the money, when like dealing with investors, when um, growing your business and bringing it forward. So about telling your story as a startup, but also telling your story as a 
as an angel investor, as a founder. Mm. Yeah. yeah, because now now you said on the as the angel perspective, you sort of have to in a very short way uh, show that you you bring you know expertise to the table and you can be part of moving the company from a very early stage to a. A, a sort of a much stronger stage where they can actually be able to raise more money, right? So, so that you have to communicate in a in a convincing way, I would say. Yeah, like your your USB as an angel. That yeah, they've exactly. been through in all the interviews we've done, like for this podcast, we've done seventeen or eighteen. This is like this year's project, special project. So it's absolutely it's like know your value and what you bring to the table. And what would you say which from which like series or stage of the company do angels become redundant? So would you say is that so they join the company very early, maybe they are the very first believers in the founders, they bring along other angels, other funds, other VCs, and then what would you say, they kind of leave after, I don't know, Series B or something like that, or how is, well, how is it, their relationship it, evolving? It, it really it really depends, I it, because it depends on the person as the angel investor, because as an angel investor, you are a one-man show, so to say, right? So you you really have to, to follow along, so it depends on can you follow along with uh, continuing investments as they grow, probably most cases not, but if you are a very wealthy angel investor, you can follow along. That means that you are relevant as from an investment perspective, a, a, a good part of the journey. There's also something with the skills and what the company set out to do and what kind of challenges that they are facing, and if you have any expertise with those. So, so for instance, I can speak for myself and see myself that in the company with uh, with Meta, I have actually asked the founding team several times, do you think that I should still be on the board? Because obviously you are growing, you're facing other challenges, other very strategic opportunities, and, and do you think that this is the best constellation? But they actually have... I keep being elected to the board because of my founder background, because I'm building companies myself, because I'm also working with companies like EQT, so you have the other understanding from, from, the, diff, from, from the other side. So I also continue to be relevant in this board, right? So I, I really think it's, it's a different scenarios, but I keep continuing asking upfront if they still think it's relevant and what kind of role they would like me to take in this. And I 100% understand that if they had grown outside of what I could bring. It's also important to note that some startups, they grow so fast within the first six months or, or 10 months or something that uh, you can find the perfect angel investor and with the right expertise and exactly what you need. And then you completed all these things after six months or 10 months, and then they can make themselves redundant because you already done these things that you or the you, you use the expertise that you were looking for. So I really think that as an angel investor, you should just have these conversations up front and you should be very open towards where do you bring the most value and sometimes bringing the most value is not being there. You yeah, can still have so your money there and your investments there, but you should also think of that, that your presence is not necessarily making a good difference all the time. Yeah, I agree. And what would you say? Should you stay in there like on the cap table up until the exit or should you maybe exit earlier? Well, that kind of depends strong. a little bit. I mean, personally, I would like to stay on the cap table till the end. So but I also, I also do understand while when you're doing, especially for Series A or Series B, you like to clean up in the cap table and you like to make sure there's not that many investors around and then you tend to buy out. But if you if you joined in the uh, pre-seed and probably even earlier than that, then being bought out in the Series A or Series B is also a good return. 
on yeah, your investment. I'm... So so it's 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 fair, and I can really understand. And I'm I'm here to support the company. And if if you are in the way of a larger investment, because some large VC funds would like to clean up the cap table, I shouldn't be in the way of it. And my investment would be way way too small to defend any of those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's always like founder friendly size, of course. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so two questions we always ask here at this podcast. So one would be, what would you recommend to the to women who would love to get into angel investment, into angel investments, but they, they don't have like necessarily their, so they don't have people coming to them, they can't invest in my company. So what would you recommend them to do? How, how should they start? If if they come from having founded the the startup world where they have founded a company themselves, I mean they would all they should uh, really you know have comfort in that they have they have great knowledge about cap tables, investment vehicles, and and how you can structure a deal and and term sheets and and all of those things. So when you come from the startup world, you probably have a lot of this knowledge. You just haven't thought of that you can actually go on the other side of the table and use it in a very very useful way, right? If you don't come from the startup scene, or maybe if you come from the corporate world and where you're not so familiar with all these, uh, how you say, technical parts of doing angels investments, there are many courses out there that can actually teach you in just a, in a week. You can know much more than some uh, founders in a startup even even does. So I think it's relatively easy to get into the to the lingo and to learn about you know the technicalities. One thing I think everybody that considers going into angel investments should think of is what is sort of the um, how you say what is your investment profile that you should have conversations with yourself around what kind of companies do I actually like to invest in what kind of uh, things has to be in place. Does it need to be very early stage? So there need to be full, you know, at least a founding team, or do you, do you want? Do you feel more secure in a later stage? Because then you can see there is more of a of a team together. There's maybe a product. There's even maybe revenue in a company. And so you really have to think of what, where would you like to place yourself, and where do you feel most comfortable operating as an angel investor? Um, so, so that's really what I think should be considered. And then you, then you need to get out there uh, speaking to the companies because it's it's also like when you when you think of if you would like to have a new job but you really don't know what you want, you will need to get out there speak to potential uh, how you say people that can Buyers actually offer you yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so here it's also about speaking to these uh, to these companies as well, figuring out what is it that you are actually intrigued by, where is it you believe that you can make an impact, and where do you think if you have the purpose of actually also multiplying your 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 money, then also where yeah. do you think that that potential lies, right? Yeah, and also taking into account it can be a very, so it's not a very liquid investment. It can take years, like over, but it does not, it will not necessarily be like a profitable one. But yeah. Ideally, just, all, all my personal mm. investments and also all of the equity that I take in terms of working with the startups, that is put in my my pot as I believe it would be my pension. That is that is everything that 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 it has to be there as a long term thing. It has to be there as as something that I would uh, take a look at in ten to fifteen years and see should I should I sell or what, what should I do with it? So so yeah. for, for me personally, all of this is a very long-term engagement. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, and which... Yeah, oh, sorry, sorry. 
No, no, no. Yeah, you mentioned there are like, so yeah, we so there uh, get into the lingo and the slang of you know of this like cap tables and startups and angel investments. Which courses would you recommend? Do you have a couple of like specific um, something like tangible people people could look um, look into? I actually don't know because I've I've learned it the hard way of uh, running a business myself so learning I've learned it all for, yeah. I've learned it all for my for my lawyers and for my investors and for reading through different kinds of uh, investment opportunities so but I I I have I have actually looked a little bit into it so I don't have a recommendation on this sorry um mm. besides learning it the, the the hard way but I I've I've actually at some point I wanted to check out something and I, I know for sure there are quite a few and also some of those that are free to attend and also some that you can actually learn quite a lot for uh, yeah. 50 euros or something like that. Yeah, right? yeah. So, we were also so, thinking about starting like a couple of uh, specific like episodes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, from from a founder's um, perspective, I know that Y Combinator, they have the whole, all of their, mm. uh, the, the explanations in term sheets and all good, uh, how you say, um, examples of term sheets and those, they have a lot of those. So regardless of if you're a founder or an angel investor, there's a lot to find with the uh, Y Combinator. Um, yeah, there is, also their... book, um, there is also a book called Venture Deals. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's by former Techstar SMD, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Um, exactly, it's a good yeah. One. It's, um, yeah, it's a good one to, to get uh, started with. Yeah. Well, so amazing. you answered your own question, Katya. You had the best. Yeah. You had the better answer. <laughs> no, but I thought. I mean, there is not one single answer. So no, I, no. I always look into you know getting different perspectives and yeah. getting several answers and combining them. It's, it depends, and then you pick what you need. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. But maybe we could uh, we should start like a little academy for angel investment like for dummies. Yeah. And. Um, to get into it and then the very very last question so it's a bit of a like big one and philosophical one so if you could change like just one thing in our like, current world and on our planet what would it be and yeah like, a bunch of problems to solve and, and there's there's quite a few uh, problems to solve i mean as a as a broader theme and a, and a thing that i have seen is the is sort of the one thing that keeps us away from a lot of good things to happen is really that i think inequality. Uh, I really think that that's a huge challenge and, and acknowledging and knowing that so few control so much and hold so much of the entire wealth in the world is, is really, I think that is a key to a lot of problems in, in today's society. And I also really think that a lot of startups is, is driven by by changing inequality in many ways. So access to, uh, how I say, democratic processes, access to knowledge and access to, to sort of um, understanding your, your biases and how you, you act and, and obviously also distributing wealth and, and those things. So I really, really think that if, if we could change inequality so we would be more equal around the world, I really think we could solve many problems with, with relation to food crises, access to health and gender equality and so on. So that's really one of the things that, that I see. And there's also, I can see something that I very much support in, in the work that I do is those working for changing inequality, so to say. Yeah, I think it's, it's a brilliant perspective, very Nordic one, but I have like 100% <laughs> yeah. my buy-in on that one. And, and um, also acknowledging coming from a very privileged side of, of the world and having a lot of, of, of opportunities you can all you can also really see how inequality is just happening in front of you, right? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not that it does not exist in the you know in the rich part of the world, but yeah, we're yeah we are privileged. But as a woman, also going to another part of the world, you realize I am privileged, but there are like other people that are more privileged. For example, men. And exactly. Have, yeah. Like yeah, and you cannot do a business as a like, blonde woman in any part of the world, like you do in the U.S. or in Europe, maybe. So it's it's also yeah. like a tricky realization. And I think that's uh, yeah, that's that's a great mission, and I'm excited to follow your adventures and next projects, and also excited to meet you. Um, Likewise, at some point. Thanks. Thank you so much for participating and for sharing <laughs> your amazing journey. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.